welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number six, and I am joined by Andrew and Rowan. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Welcome to our guest, Andrew, who's going to, um, we're going to kick the show off talking to him about AppDemon and HA Dashboard. Looking forward to it. Something that I've admitted I've tried to get working and failed quite miserably. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm uh, sure. See, see me on the forum afterwards and we'll get it sorted out. <laughs> there we go. Um, so Andrew is um, an expat Brit living in the USA and working as a sales engineer for an internet security company. Um, he's been programming yep. since 1980, which was 11 years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says that he's keeping up with all the latest tech trends and yeah, home automation is kind of a... They're definitely kind of a you know front runner Internet of Things you know the it's taking the up so much of my time so much programming <laughs> yeah that's good so Andrew we'll start yeah we'll kick it off with you um, do you want to give us a quick intro on what App Demon and HA Dashboard actually are for those that haven't really come across it yet yeah sure so um, they're basically um, they're completely different things but they actually are living under one roof now at the moment. Um, App Demon is um, a way to kind of turbocharge your automations by using um, Python code um, rather than the more normal uh, YAML uh, automations that, that we have in Home Assistant. Um, predates the actual support for Python as well, for the Python scripts for automation, um, and it actually goes a lot further. So I kind of think of it as, as a sort of a power user tool for writing complex automations, things that, that you, you just really can't do uh, with the YAML and the existing Python stuff. Mm. Um, HA Dashboard is a, uh, it's kind of a wall-mounted dashboard that works uh, with Home Assistant. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's intended to be wall-mounted, which kind of brings in a set of different kind of design goals to, to the, the, the standard Hass user interface, uh, which we can maybe talk about um, Things like uh, it's intended to, to sort of be placed on the wall and be viewed from a distance. Um, the emphasis is, is probably more on status than manipulation. Um, and because it's on a wall and it, you're reaching out to grab it, um, typically clicking on like small links, things like that is actually pretty hard. So I make everything big uh, and easy to touch. Um, so it's, it's kind of a complementary um, to the existing Hass interface. And I actually use the Hass interface myself on my phone, but on the wall I've um, I have the several tablets and uh, use that for status information and uh, just you know, clicking things on and off occasionally. Yeah, so it's more, you know, you've called it dashboard, so more of a yeah data viewing rather than, you know, something like floor plan where you're actually controlling things. Well, this is interesting. I mean, it, you can absolutely control things, but it, this actually kind of mm. segues very neatly into what Carlos was, was saying about floor plan, and I thought, yeah, he's right about that. It, it's more about its status. It's has a sort of a similar goal in that you want to be able to see everything at a glance and understand, you know, are all my doors locked, uh, are my lights on or off, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's completely open-ended, configurable. You can have any layout you want. Uh, you, you have absolute control of the layout, unlike the, with the Hass front end, which makes its own decisions for you. Um, so you can get it to, to look, you know, how you want. The other thing as well um, with the Hass UI that actually is probably no longer going to be an issue now that we have themes is that, um, when I first came to it, everything was white and blue. And if you put um, something that's bright white on a tablet uh, on the wall, when you turn the light off, it lights the whole room up. So, um, so part of it was theming, and 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 everything is kind of um, it's completely themable and and uh, 
everything's configurable in terms of color and uh, that kind of stuff as well. So um, that's really kind of what they are. Yeah. Um, so you want to, what, what made you, you know, actually yeah. go out to write them? Cause they're not exactly small undertakings. They've yes. taken a lot of my time <laughs> over the last year. I can tell you that. Sure. So it's, it's, it's kind of a story. It's a history of my, my, um, home automation attempts. Uh, if you'll indulge me. Um, my very first home automation attempt was about 10 years ago. Um, and I did it to solve a problem rather than, you know, wanting to be able to turn things on, on and off with my phone. I had a problem in that my wife hated coming home to an empty house uh, with the lights out. Mm. So my very first home automation system was literally just a timer plug that turned the light on at 4.30 every night. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and bear with me, this is, this is relevant. Um, when I first heard about um, home automation in a sort of a more formal sense, um, I, I saw an article on Wink, so I ran out and bought a Wink hub and found out very quickly that although it could turn lights on and off and you could do the whole phone thing, um, there was just um, no support for any kind of automation. It was really, really weak in that department. So I, I immediately regretted my uh, my impulse purchase, did some some more research, and then found SmartThings. Um, and SmartThings had a bit of a better approach. One of the really cool things that I liked about SmartThings um, was it did have this notion of writing snippets of code uh, in a language called Groovy, of all things, um, that let you respond. Yeah, I, I'd never seen it before or since, but uh, it's pretty much similar to Java. Um, but it let you respond to events and uh, respond out by, you know, making changes to the system, like turning things on and off, which I thought was really pretty cool. Uh, it's one of the things I really liked about smart things. Um, the fatal flaw of smart things, in my opinion, though, was, was its reliance on the cloud. And, you know, mm-hmm. one day, you know, the, the 10th time in a row that the, my automations at sunset hadn't happened or had happened late because everybody else in the entire world was as sunset as well on the East coast, for instance, has sunset at the same time. So their servers always get overwhelmed. Um, I started looking for something else, and uh, you know, uh, this was about just over a year ago. Um, I discovered Home Assistant. Um, I found out that um, you know it ran locally, and I was really very impressed with some of the the stuff on the website that Palace had about home control versus home automation and that kind of thing. Because I'd been thinking along the same lines, and it, it really resonated. Um, so I was excited to move to Home Assistant. Um, the only thing I found when I got there was that. Um, the, the, the way that the automations worked um, with the YAML um, at that time um, were, were less sophisticated than they are now. We didn't have any template supports uh, and didn't have conditions in script or anything like that. So I managed to get most of my, my automations ported over, but I found that I was really, really missing the, the ability just to kind of throw a few lines of code together that, that to my mind as a programmer, um, uh, just a much more natural way of thinking about certain types of things anyway. Anything where you want to keep track of something over several iterations, that kind of thing, uh, it's a lot easier to code it um, than it is to, to put it together in YAML and you know play with with input sliders for holding values and that kind of stuff. So I was kind of regretting the fact that I didn't have access to that anymore, um, and I was playing around with the APIs, and all of a sudden I, I kind of figured out I can do this. I can I can build a way of accepting events from the event stream um, and then using the API to call back in and then feed that information into um snippets of python code apps if you like uh and and that's basically what i ended up doing i I put together a prototype um 
I love the way that Home Assistant is so extendable and so open-ended in terms of, of the APIs and, and all the components and stuff that it was really very easy to, you know, put together some code that actually consumed all of the events and then just f- figured out ways of reacting to them. And then um, just allowed me to call back into into um, Home Assistant with, with you know, the, the RESTful API, which is, you know, again, very, very um, comprehensive. And when I finished, I'd ended up with this thing that, kind of did some cool stuff, let me write apps. And it was, it didn't feel to me like it was kind of bolted on the outside, even though it was because the integration was so, was so good because of the, the, the open-ended nature of home assistant. So, um, I put this thing together, um, built a few apps, um, tested it and then eventually trusted it enough to port all of my existing YAML apps over. And I did that and let it run for a, for a few weeks. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I've got something here. Wonder if anybody else would like it. So I uh, put out an announcement uh, on the um, on the forum, and uh, a lot of people really kind of picked it up and, and ran with it. So um, I'm kind of surprised with how popular it, it's become. Um, even up until relatively recently, I mean, I, I've talked to maybe I don't know a few few tens or maybe twenty different people on the forums about about trying to get it set up, that kind of stuff. When I put up my Docker build, um, I think it was two or three weeks ago now um and i checked after a week or two and it had already had 1400 downloads which kind of blew my mind a bit so yeah that's that's impressive right i I don't know for sure how many people are out there using it but it's probably more than i thought so um uh that's kind of how um uh, app demon came about um ha dashboard um again kind of stems from the um the smart things era because smart things didn't have any kind of a good uh, user interface they had basically a thing that you you used on your phone which was really a cross between a, a rules engine kind of thing um and just a config uh kind of tool and it didn't really give you any kind of status information and it was pretty awkward to go through several screens to figure out that you just wanted to turn the light on and off that kind of thing so um at some point um one of the community members um at smart things um built a thing he called ha dashboard um and it was uh, pretty much what the HA dashboard for Home Assistant does now. Um, same, same kind of idea. Um, um, so I, I take no uh, uh, no no credit for the original concept. Um, but uh, when I moved to Home Assistant, um, again, I felt that uh, I, I, I do love the Home Assistant user interface. I use it on my phone all the time. It just wasn't, um, you know, right for putting up on tablets and i tried that and it didn't work my wife didn't like it it was too bright the little blue links that she had to click on she couldn't see them um so i thought well what the hell i mean i've got i've got all these apis i've got this event stream thing that i can use let's see if i can do some kind of a port um of the dashboard over um to home assistant um which is what i then proceeded to do so the original dashboard was was written using a bunch of technologies that not not in my real sweet spot, not ones that I would have chosen, but the whole thing worked. Um, so I took it as is. Um, I made some changes to the back end, which was written in Ruby, um, to call into Home Assistant. And then I built a Python component, separate standalone component, to actually uh, consume all of the events and then push those back to the dashboard to keep them up to, up to date. Uh, and I ended up, again, with a thing that worked. Uh, it, it was fine. Um, it worked well, but the problem was it became harder and harder for me to really um, kind of make changes to it because I didn't really understand a lot of the technologies it was using as well as I would like. 
used an out-of-date framework called Dashing, which has been you know, ended development, uh, and it was built uh, using CoffeeScript, which is a very strange derivative of JavaScript that uh, seems <laughs> right. to be seems to be there just to make things harder and i'm sure i'm sure if you if you if you know it and embrace it it's a, it's a wonderful thing but it just it just didn't really sit well with me so sure i was sitting there with a bunch of um you know feature requests and github would it be cool if we could do this would it be cool if we could do that and i i agree it would be cool if i could have done any of those things but i didn't know where to start because i didn't really understand the underlying framework and, and i just didn't know where i was so i made the insane decision to rewrite it from the ground up uh, in Python, um, uh, and which I, which I did, it took me, I don't know how long it took me it, uh, fairly quick to actually get a basic framework in place, but spent a lot of time, um, working with a couple of other forum members, Rennie Toad and Rob Patera. Um, and I got a lot of uh, great feedback from those guys, um, as to how this, you know, to make this easier and, and better. And, uh, been a long time sort of working on the on the, the the usability aspects at least for the configuration of it so um again when, once i'd finished it was every bit as functional as the original dashboard and then it's 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 uh it's a lot more so now we have a lot more uh, abilities and, and and things in there so it's it's really cool um and more importantly i now have a platform to actually start thinking about um making those changes so that if someone asks me for a specific type of widget i know how to write it because i've 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 written all the code from scratch and I understand the, the yeah. technology choices and how the APIs work and all that kind of stuff. So, so, th- um, so that's interesting. So have you, is, is it, uh, is it at a point where it's like even documented enough that like somebody like myself can say, Hey, let's go in and, you know, I'll just do a pull request and then, and then extend it or. So yeah, yes and no. Well, well, well yes and yes. <laughs> um, Cause I am already getting pull requests actually. So the idea behind it is that it's it's extensible, right? Yeah. So it, it it has a kind of a pluggable architecture. Um, in terms of the themes, it's completely skinnable. You can pull a bunch of uh, there's, there's two files. You take them, you can edit them, you can change anything about them. Pretty much the CSS, um, all of the, the the stylings of all of the um, individual um, controls. So you can have any color schemes you want, change the icons, all that kind of stuff. It's all very configurable, um, and I've taken a kind of a similar approach with that to, to the Home Assistant approach, which is the with the custom um, component directories. Right. Um, so whilst the built-in themes live somewhere, they're installed along with all the other stuff in wherever Python puts its things. Uh, if you create the right type of directory uh, in your uh, in your configuration directory and then put these files in, they'll get picked up and they'll, they'll be a new skin. Um, the also the, the the widgets themselves, like I have, I have a widget for you know. A widget for lights, a widget for uh, thermostats, a widget for this, that, and the other. Um, I've built framework uh, that kind of abstracts them to a point where it's intended to be pretty easy for people to pick up, pick one of those up and build another one. What I haven't yet done is is put in the framework that allows you to just stick them in a directory easily and quickly. Um, right. Um, but that's sort of that's on my list of things to do. And at that point, it'll just be a question of um, you know. There's three files. You have to do some CSS, a little bit of HTML, and then uh, bulk of the work's probably in the JavaScript. Which, but there's there's a very well formed API that I've put in there. I just haven't documented that yet. Um, so those two things have to happen: um, write the docs, um, uh, and then actually enable the sort of the the, the custom easy way of of, uh, of building new widgets. But yeah, it's it's intended to be um, extendable. Um, I kind of when I approach these things, probably more so with that beam, but definitely 
with HA dashboard as well. I, I, I kind of, I take the view that if people surprise me with what they do with it, then I've succeeded in giving them something open-ended enough that, uh, that they can go away and do stuff. And trust me, I've been very surprised with what people have done with AppDemon and, uh, and HA dashboard already. <laughs> hey everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy video lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Do you see AppDaemon taking over for Python or sorry for for YAML scripts, or uh, do you find it complementing it? Uh, you know, it's definitely, you definitely a compliment. I think, um, and I think you know, I I pretty much broadly agree with Paulus on the on the way he positioned it. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, mm. a couple of uh, casts ago. Um, I I think AppDaemon gives you a lot of capabilities. It's a, a real power user kind of tool. Um, I think that the YAML stuff is a lot, lot easier to get into. Um, you can do simple things very, very easily. Um, and the Python scripting, um, is just kind of an interesting middle ground, uh, at the moment. And remember that the Python scripting and, and even the template support wasn't even there when I, when I built app demon. So I definitely think they can coexist. Um, one thing I would like to see, um, is I think there's, there's a perception that app demon means writing Python code, which means I don't code, so I can't do it. Um, I don't think that's the case. The way that, that the apps are structured is you can build an app, um, give it any number of parameters that are easy to understand, like use this switch for this motion light program, that kind of thing. Uh, use this switch and use this motion light detector. It's very easy for someone to actually just cut and paste uh, an app and, and put in the appropriate um, parameters. They don't have to understand the, how the program works. So I'd like to see some more of that. I've, I've just been thinking of ways that uh, it might be easier and, and, and quicker to maybe uh, help that I've, I've thought about um along with rob patera um actually building a repository for apps and then i was having some thoughts this morning this afternoon while i was making dinner um wouldn't it be cool if i took a, a leaf out of hasta io's uh, book and maybe allowed someone to just you know put in a, a github link or something like that and have app demon take that download the app and, and, and run it something like that so i think there's a lot more that could be done in terms of getting uh, app demon support to people who don't, uh, you know, necessarily want to program. I, I don't think they have to learn how to program. Somebody somewhere has to do some programming and uh, a lot of, a lot of cool people are doing great things and, uh, contributing, you know, apps back on the web and documenting them on, on, on the forum, that, that kind of stuff. So there's some of that stuff going already, but I think there's, there's, there's definitely room for more. Uh, yeah. and I just, I just see app demon as a sort of filling the gap when you want to do something that's ridiculously complicated that you can't even approach doing in YAML. Uh, there's a lot of stuff around there that that, that app demon is really good for. So. Yeah, and and YAML structure for doing certain things just logically would take you twice as long just to figure out uh, how am I going to do this, rather than 
actually coding it out in like Python or something similar. Yeah, I mean, my my example for that is I actually came up with this example, put it in the docs. Uh, I think I even put it, I put it in the blog post when I wrote a blog post about this um, yeah. when it first came out. Um, is at the time, and I don't know, I haven't really been following how much automations the YAML automations have developed because I do everything in um, in AppDemon now. But at the time, you know, something that was fairly simple like turning a light on and then waiting for 30 seconds and then turning it off again. You needed to write an automation, then you needed to write another script to turn the light on, and then mm-hmm. a second script to be called by the first with a delay in it, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it, it's like it's three or four lines in AppDemon, you know, that, that kind of um, you know, if, if that kind of simplification. Uh, but it's also the, the opposite end of the scale. There are things that you just can't do in YAML. When you start tra- talking about, well, I want to loop around five times and on the fifth time do this and on the third time do that, right. but only if, if these conditions are met, if then else, you know, some very deeply nested if then else. And again, uh, the YAML automations has improved a lot since I did this, but uh, there's just a class of, of automations that are really, really hard to kind of conceptualize and get into, into YAML. And that's at that point, you know, having the ability just to write code and uh, write a few lines of code really kind of makes it makes those things a lot easier or indeed possible in some cases. Yeah, that's that's really neat. So if I, uh, this isn't really part of what we were originally going to talk about, but just out of my own curiosity, if I wanted to get started with it, uh, what what should I be doing? Um, so... In terms of the installation, um, it's pretty simple at the moment. It's a, it's it is a, it's a standalone um, it's a standalone uh, thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hosted on GitHub, but I actually just about a couple of weeks ago just added support for PyPy, so you can just uh, literally do a pip three install of it now. So it's actually pretty easy to do it that way. Um, also, we have Docker support uh, as well. So pick pick your method of installation, uh, and then it's just a question of of uh, filling in a few um, configuration files, uh, one configuration file, a few configuration items, like you need to put in, you know, the, the URL for your home assistant, right? Um, uh, a key if you're using one. Um, trying to think what else, the other bits and pieces. Sure. Not not very much. Um, and then once the thing's up and running, um, you literally just need to drop uh, an app. Which is a formatted piece of Python code. It's actually uh, technically it's it's a package, I guess, or a class. You just stick it in the app directory and it'll run, uh, and that's it. Um, you know, it's it's there is an API to learn, uh, but you can start simple and kind of build up. Um, and it's it's just, essentially it's just Python programming with a sort of an event driven kind of paradigm, which you may may or may not be used to. But basically, what happens is when you start an app you have an opportunity to register anything that you're interested in. So you can say, for instance, um, I, I care whether or not this particular switch is on or off or if it changes state. Right. Once that registration is in place, um, you give it, um, you give it a, a, a Python function that gets called. Um, and when the switch goes on, your function gets called. It gives you the data about what happened, what, 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 you know, what the new state is, and then it's up to you to do, do what, what, with that what you will. Um, there are many other API calls like to call services to switch things on and off. So essentially something like a motion light is, is just subscribing to a motion sensor. And then when, when you get told that the motion sensor is turned on, um, you just write a piece of code that calls the switch dot turn on or light dot turn on service. And that, that's essentially is it. Hmm. Uh, you're just responding to individual events on individual items. And then of course there's a, sh- a scheduler in there as well. So you can say, you know, run this piece of code at, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon or whatever, or half an hour before sunset. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it's just some fairly simple event-driven programming. Um, the, the docs are fairly comprehensive. Um, spent a lot of time working, writing those up. I really wanted people to have a good experience with that. Um, and uh, actually, there's a lot of help on the forums now. It's got to the point, which is most gratifying, that uh, now when, whenever anybody asks questions about um, you know, App Demon apps, there's usually two or three people that get to the uh, get to the response before I do, which is great. That that's all. That that's how you know you've made it in the open source world too, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. When you, when you start having your your power users and they're they're answering your questions, that's and, right. Uh, that's great. It's it's a good place to be. So. Uh, no, that's that's awesome, and 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 it's great to hear that the community's uh, community's active in that too, right? So, yeah, well, I mean, it started off from one thread, and when we got up to about five or six hundred posts, uh, seemed like a good idea to uh, uh, to add a, a specific forum for it, and that's actually, I think, that was one of the driving forces behind the whole ecosystem forum. I think yeah. uh, App Demon was one of the first ones in there, so that was cool. Um, that was that's really good. That's neat. Yeah, I'm going to register my vote for the Docker installation method because while we've been sitting here, I have successfully launched HA dashboard in Docker. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. That's awesome. See, there you go. Tried, tested, and true right here, right now, live. Excellent. Yeah, because I've gone from, oh, this doesn't work. It seems too hard to, hey, look, it works. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and again, shout out. I've had a lot of help with um, um, particularly forum user Bob Portnick. um, Did a lot of of work to help me get the, the Docker um, up and running and a lot more reliable. Um, and he, he helped me, well, he actually wrote a tutorial for it. Um, so, so it's, it's also nice to have people pitching in. I get lots of pull requests. I get on, on app demon. People want to fix the docs or through to, you know, suggesting different ways of doing things, that kind of stuff. So it really, I'm really getting a lot of, uh, kind of community involvement. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I that you've got 29 closed and eight open pull requests. Eight open. Oh my God. <laughs> I try and I try and keep on top of them. I've been away for the last week you know, on business, so uh, yeah, uh, a couple of those are just documentation ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot a lot of activity and, and a lot of engaged people helping out. So it's always great. No, that's awesome, and and I guess for everyone listening out there too, right? It's uh, it's awesome to see everybody getting involved. So keep it up. Yeah, I love it. Um, so going back to kind of HA dashboard uh for a second because again these are both similar but different projects um in the sense that i guess you're involved with them <laughs> uh, so from how do you compare this with like a floor plan uh i mean we, we talked about how we compare it with the with the has ui right where even right. the way you use it today is you use the has ui to actually uh like on your mobile device and so on and right. so forth uh, I guess floor plan and HA dashboard are kind of kind of similar in the sense that they're very uh, tablet oriented. I know floor plan is a lot more visual in terms of floors, uh, like or in terms of what's where. Whereas HA dashboard is, as the name suggests, a dashboard, right? Yeah, and it's um, you know a lot of credit to the whole uh, the floor plan project. It, it's it's an incredible piece of code. It's it's literally unbelievably versatile you could you can put any mm-hmm. design there and i think you know they're definitely complementary because i think the strength of ha dashboard is that it's it's very easy and quick to lay out something that that you know looks pretty good and worked really well yeah uh, once you get in there and start getting into the dashboards you know it, it's literally just as quick as um uh, when when you look at the the actual uh, configuration pages for a dashboard it's literally as quick as you can you can lay out you know 
10 entity names in the right in the right format and it will just build a dashboard for you and, you know the simplest dashboard ever is just a single entity name with, with the right yaml structure and a title that kind of stuff right uh, and then you can go to you know a lot more complexities in terms of you know changing colors and stylings and icons and stuff like that and it, and it kind of grows with you um so you know HA dashboard is intended to be pretty easy to set up, pretty easy to get a result. I think um, Floorpan certainly has a lot more versatility in the way it looks and what you can do with it. I think just think it's 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 more work to get that up and running. Um, but I will say I actually see them as, as as being complementary to the degree that when I have time at some point I would really like to integrate Floorpan into uh, into HA dashboard. Uh, because you know, at the moment, Hass interface users can can have the benefit of of, of floor plan, but um, you know, HA dashboard users cannot. And it mm-hmm. would be really cool if I if I could build a you know a floor plan widget and and, and use the same kind the same, the exact same files and then expose that and and put that uh, uh, as part of HA dashboard. Um, and I had a chat with uh, Peter about it, and uh, he was uh, pretty you know pretty uh, supportive of the idea as well. So. Um, not sure when I'll get around to doing that, but it's definitely something that, that I want to have on the list because I think they, uh, I think they kind of synergize well together. So yeah, and 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 I think I think I agree with what you kind of said about they're more complementary than they are competing, right? Like in the sense that uh, the way I think of it is HA dashboard is your primary kind of dashboard in terms of hey, here's what's going on, and then floor plan is here's how I visualize all of that into physically what's where kind of uh, right. There's, there's definitely a place for both and i'm sort of bringing that kind of thinking to the way i'm building my dashboards now as well yeah. um, i'm thinking yeah at the moment i've got because uh, again it was it was listening to carlos and the way he he, he viewed it and sort of turned some lights on in my head and um, one of the things I, i'm just working on now is is uh, or I, I just put into uh, app demon was the ability to actually um cause ha dashboard to change pages which is kind of cool i'm thinking in terms of well when i go to bed at night i'll, I'll issue the command and she'll automatically alexa will automatically pop up um you know a floor plan say to show everything's locked so and at the moment i don't have a floor plan i just i just have another panel that's got all my sensors in it but whatever but it'd be right. really cool if if that could you know affect that transition and, and have the dashboard support that and handle that as well so i'm thinking along those lines for sure yeah i was about to say exactly that it'd be really cool to you know have your mm-hmm. default dashboard and then, you know, be able to swipe or have it automatically across to a floor plan for, you know, a wider view perhaps or a, yeah. you know, a different view. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm taking a look at the code and trying to figure out, um, you know, if I can easily port it over or, or maybe, you know, worst case, I might have to rewrite it. But even if I do that, I'll make sure that it uses exactly the same configuration files and vector formats and all that kind of stuff so that people can use them in both. But uh, um, again, it's 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 on my lo- my long list of things that I really want to get done. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it sounds sure. like an ever growing list too. Uh, it grows a lot faster than I uh, <laughs> knock items off it. I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I mean, so I mean, you kind of touched on this too uh, in terms of futures. Yeah. Um, so, like, we we kind of got an idea of kind of what's future, what what's what you're thinking of doing for HA dashboard and stuff, uh, and and an app daemon as well. I'm I'm guessing same kind of thing, right? Like, make it more so, extensible. Um, yeah, this this is um. So for the longest time, app daemon's been kind of stable uh, in that it it certainly has long since done everything I've wanted it to do, uh, and in many cases. Um, I've been adding bits and pieces that you know that some maybe some some of the users have been wanting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it had seemed fairly stable, but um, I've just uh, 
just come across a couple of things that I wanted to add to it. I'm working on Alexa support now for HA dashboard. I got that kind of working. I need to tidy it up a bit, but um, you can now um, uh, go straight from Alexa straight into, sorry, not to HA dashboard, into, into straight into app daemon. So you can have um, apps respond to Alexa, do any processing, and then, then send the response back. Um, and I'm trying to make that, well, I have made that, that coexists. Um, with the the has support uh, in home assistant if you do some nginx uh, trickery it works out quite well um but i wanted to sort of generalize that i've actually what i've done rather than adding alexa support specifically i've added um api support so that you can actually from it's got a restful api now so you can call into any of your apps from any restful uh you know, any url you just use a url to uh, touch the call into your apps as well right um then uh what else was i doing that's sort of so that's that's kind of it for for app daemon immediately uh ha dashboard i have a list longer than you could have possibly imagined mm-hmm. of new widget types cooler things to do other things to support um, but i think the long-term thing that i'm thinking about uh, not maybe not even so long term is actually and i discussed this a couple of times with palace is is actually um, getting um, App Daemon and HA Dashboard integrated directly into Home Assistant, so that there's actually zero configuration, awesome. and you can start with uh, with apps and, uh, and and a dashboard straight away. Um, in order to do that, I've got to do some fairly significant refactoring to get the thing uh, to a, to a position where I can easily do that because I don't want to abandon the standalone users as well. So I'm going to have to reorganize some code. It's going to be a fairly big big task, but uh, I think ultimately uh, that would be the coolest thing. It would be just to be able to have it working out of the box um, so that users can just start using apps and not even worry about the whole configuration piece. So that's kind of the, the long-term uh, goal, I think, is, is to actually do that. Something I was talking to a friend about yesterday was about how at the moment home automation is kind of an enthusiast thing. You know, you have to edit YAML files and install Docker right. images, but it's people like us, I guess, you know, like kind of the, the forerunners of it that are going to bring it to a point where, you know, everyday people can use it and all this kind of thing that you're talking about for the futures working towards that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think um, the whole HASIO thing has just got pretty much everybody thinking in that direction. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. it can be easy. What do we have to do to make it even easier? And uh, you know, making you know, the whole app daemon zero install is, is really appealing for that reason. And then you know, it becomes a baseline, and everybody can use apps, and it becomes much more likely that people will share apps. Uh, and and you know, if we can think of easier ways of, of of installing the apps, like the whole GitHub idea I had, or whatever else may may come come to pass, it becomes really a much much lower barrier for entry. It's like click this button to install it. Oh, you've got app daemon already. Don't even know what that is. But if I paste in this git URL, I get this really cool thing where am I, you know, I can do this with my lights or whatever. And it, and it, the whole thing becomes a lot, a lot easier as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like eventually you can even get to like an app store kind of, <laughs> right. Where people, yeah, hey, no, that's, that's got to be the install. end game. I mean, I, I started th- simplistically thinking about an app store as just being somewhere where you click and then you like, you know, cut and paste. A, yeah. A, but You're I think right. I think something a lot more polished than that w- would be, you know, would certainly be possible. Um, now that I'm sort of thinking along those lines, I'm going to hmm, think about that some more. <laughs> <Uh-oh. Yeah. laughs> okay, that's another one to add to that. <laughs> so if if uh, if, uh, if the folks out there wanted to find out more information about uh, App Daemon or HA Dashboard, uh, where do you suggest they go? Um, so 
there is already a bunch of documentation uh, someone, uh, um, under the ecosystem of the Hass website. So um, just do a search for that. Perfect. Um, that will take you to the Git repository, which has the main um, documentation in it. I'm thinking that I'll, I want to do a better job of actually getting that rolled back into the website. Um, again, the problem was it was, it was harder to maintain, but um, uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue now that um, uh, it looks like they've uh, given me the rights to actually directly uh, edit stuff rather than just doing pull requests, for, at least for, for my stuff. So um, I want to probably want to get that back into the website, especially if I'm actually going to roll it into Hass eventually it'll all be in the website. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, the other place uh, is the, um, there is an app daemon and an HA dashboard forum on, on the, uh, on the forum, sub forums on the forum. I say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I, I monitor that stuff all the time. I'm always there. And um, uh, if you've got any specific questions, I'm usually online somewhere in discord. Uh, if you if you at mention me uh, in, in the ecosystem channel, I'll uh, certainly come and try and do my best to help you with anything. Fantastic. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, Andrew, you're more than welcome to stick around as we move into the other parts of the show, if you like. Thank you very much. Will. We're recording this on the, oh, it's the 30th for me, um, and 0.50 has just dropped. So we have voice, a reasonable, um, you know, I guess, change to how voice is working. Not really going to go into it too much today. What the blog post says is we've turned Home Assistant into a platform to write voice apps no matter where the processing of voice happens. So basically you get a a new function, which is intense. So for example, a temperature intent, which is, you know, asking by voice for what the temperature is. And there's also a shopping list, um, which is something that I guess Alexa has as well. But, you know, now Bill Center. Home Assistant, there's a awesome 20-minute video um, by our friend Ben, so I'll drop that into the show notes so everyone can have a look, and we'll have um, Paulus on the next show to talk to us about it, which is going to be great. Yeah, this this uh, this looks pretty interesting. It's uh, I mean, we keep talking about moving towards voice everything, right? Like, I don't want to have to go into... Uh, in, like I don't want to have to go in and actually open an app and do things and so on and so forth. Um, mm. And and that's two way feedback, right? Whether it's me asking the system to do something or the system telling me something has happened, right? Um, so I, again, kind of talking about uh, just making life easier for people. Yeah, I, I I like the idea of intense. I see it as a kind of um, it's like splitting away from automations. Automations are, are automatic. Intents are where you have a, a kind of a human element, and it allows us to kind of abstract how we, we interact, whether it's by pressing a switch, that could be an intent. Talking via voice could be an intent. And then, you know, as soon as we get some kind of a telepathy device, we could have telepathic intents as well. So <laughs> I kind of see it as a model to sort of generalize the let's interact with the human side of the system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something else that happened while we were uh, in between podcasts is that Hester.io, which we've already mentioned a few times, has now been officially released. Um, and episode after next one, we're going to go into a lot more depth about that, but we have you know, mentioned it on and off. Um, just briefly, 0.49 came out. Themes were, you know, one of the big things, yes. as Andrew mentioned. Not everything is themable just yet, but it'll definitely be coming now that you know, it's there. It's much easier to you know build on it rather than start from scratch. 
Yeah, that was that was something that was asked for quite a bit as well. So yes, <laughs> exactly that blue and white, um, quite bright. <laughs> I say maybe if you'd had themes when I was writing HA dashboard, I wouldn't have bothered. I would have just made my <laughs> display go black instead. <laughs> That's right. I find that all the all my widgets in the Hess UI kind of bounce around every time it reloads, which is a bit annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the kind of look and feel is kiosk mode. So removing the tab bar. So if you're running on a you know, tablet device, you have a bit more of a wider view. Um, and something which I was really glad to see was the addition yeah. of Prometheus support. Yes. Um, I use Prometheus already for most of my IT data collection. So being able to pull in my home assistant data as well, even though I'm running it in a separate instance, uh, because I already know the Prometheus query language, uh, being able to um, switch over to that and then just repoint Grafana at it has been has been really good. So now I don't need to, you know, know InfluxDB as well as Prometheus, which is what <laughs> I was using in the past. Yeah, it, which for me personally, again, it came at a perfect time too, right? And uh, I'd actually just finished setting up my entire... Uh, Prometheus and uh, in, uh, and uh, Grafana set up and uh, 0.49 dropped and I was like, oh well then, that's yeah. <laughs> that's very convenient timing for me. But so uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely really happy to see the Prometheus uh, support as well. So um, for for those that don't that aren't familiar with Prometheus, it's uh, essentially middleware to give you a time based uh, data database. Right, so basically, where your time is your key, and for me, I map out things like, "Hey, here's my temperature on different points of my house, so on and so forth." Um, and so, so, similar to the information you get uh, on the uh, on the on, on the Home Assistant dashboard, but uh, or the Home Assistant uh, UI, but uh, Grafana presents it a little nicer, and you can play with the information a little bit too, to um, yeah. do a little bit of analytics. And, and alert you on there too. Yeah, I've actually got Logbook turned off because um, I'm running Home Assistant on a Pi um, for hardware interfacing. So mm-hmm. uh, turning that off stops it from meshing my SD card quite so much. So that's why right. I'm pushing it out to Prometheus in a Docker container to you know stop it from writing to my SD card quite so often. Yeah, S- save a little bit of life on there too. Mm, exactly. Um, yeah, so 0.50 dropped um, just within the last couple of hours, actually. So that was awesome timing. Um, I've added a Google Wi-Fi um, system monitor component so you can see, you know, uptime and all that kind of, you know, interesting information, firmware levels, things like that. Um, not that you can get Google Wi-Fi in New Zealand. <sighs> <laughs> Can't even get it here. Yeah. <laughs> in Connecticut. <laughs> it, it's it's another one of those things where we just people people I guess just find out how to get it somewhere somehow. But I oh, guess absolutely. Google Wi Fi is a little uh, little different with that. But yeah, and um, something that I'm really excited to see is the uh, Xiaomi, <laughs> um, yeah, home home automation platform integration. It's basically uh, really really cheap home automation platform um the to give you an example the gateway is 31 us dollars with free shipping um and here's a humidity temperature humidity sensor 
for I shouldn't do this live on the air. Uh for fourteen dollars Canadian. Yeah, that's so it's that's just awesome. so cheap. It's gonna save some money. Yeah, they they've got a bunch of other stuff too, right? They're they're hmm. one of those generic electronics manufacturers. I'm just looking at their site right now. They've got drones and you know, like uh just TVs, arm like uh wristbands, so on and so forth. But yeah, they're I mean, you know what? For that price, you can't really go wrong. So, so that presumably means we're going to get a drone component soon in Home <laughs> That'd be fun. Hey, the temperature yeah. is high. Fly out, go do something. <laughs> yeah, I think a purchase of um, a bridge and a whole stack of door window sensors is very close in my future. No, that's a great idea. I was thinking about that. I was I was about to start spending 30, 40 bucks per sensor for my uh, doors and windows, but yeah, you got me thinking now. <laughs> I have a, you know, I have some sensors, but the, you know, they transmit when they open, and that's it. Yeah. Um. So that's not very helpful for is the door open or closed. So yeah, this will be good. Yeah, it's, especially again for the price, it's mm. can't go wrong. You really can't. So, yeah. Well, even if nothing, it's uh, try it. You don't like it. Okay. So whatever yeah. it's. For 30, 30 bucks, it's worth a shot. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I think that's probably about everything that we had for this show. You guys got anything else? I'm good. Well, I'm good. Just uh, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's. Yeah, and mentioning that you had a Docker image, so now I'm going to go off and write some automations <laughs> in Python. Another convert. That's right. That's I like right. it. I like it. The easy Making things easy is pretty much the best way to convert me because I like making stuff happen, not preparing to make stuff happen. Yeah. Yep, yeah, I agree. And, and it's Docker my stuff I don't, yeah, oh, it's yeah. my stuff I don't mind it being complicated, but no one else wants to be. <laughs> messing around with this that's the stuff yeah yeah that's right all right well yeah thanks andrew very much for coming on and yeah thanks Ryan as well for thank you coming on and Glad to um, be here. we'll be back in two weeks with polis who's going to talk to us about all the new voice stuff which is going to be really exciting yeah looking forward to that yeah thanks all thanks bye thanks bye